Okay. Take your Bibles. Open them to the book of Ruth. It's early on in the Old Testament. You don't have to turn very far until you find it. We started just last week this very short series, four weeks throughout the book of Ruth. So today we're in chapter two. I've titled this message, Grace and Favor. I think as we make our... How are you doing? I didn't know you were going to be here today. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here. All right. Sorry about that. Can we cut that out? (laughs) Figure that out later. Okay. Grace and favor. I think you will find as we walk through this second chapter of Ruth, you're going to see a lot of grace and favor. I hope you'll start to recognize it. In fact, if you want, I've taught my kids it's okay to write in your Bible. I think you know you Grace, favor, anytime you see that, just kind of underline it, circle it, write out beside it, oh, this looks like grace, this looks like favor, and that way when you go back to Ruth again, you'll, you'll find yourself as you read it, oh yeah, this is the chapter where we start seeing lots of grace and favor, and so maybe that will stand out to you. So last week, we, we met this family, uh, try to recap real quick, okay, Elimelech was the dad and Naomi was the mom and their two sons, they left Bethlehem. Okay, the promised land where they lived because of a famine, and they went looking uh, for greener pastures, if you will. So they didn't stay in the promised land and trusting God to take care of them. They took things into their own hands, like we do often, and, and they left for a place of Moab. Now, Moab was a bad place. Uh, they worshipped false gods. They were enemies of God's people. Um, I said last week they were known for a lot of things, none of them good. So... Uh, They went to Moab. Eventually, the husband, Elimelech, died. Uh, They remained, Naomi and her two sons, in Moab. Her sons both took uh, Moabite women for wives. Also, they were not supposed to do that. After 10 years of marriage and no children, both sons died. And so there was Naomi left, husbandless, sonless, um, and and basically no hope uh, for her and her future. Uh, she was left with these two daughters-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. And then God visited his people back in the promised land, ended the famine, brought food, and she heard about it and said, you know, maybe I should go home. She started on her way and then decided, it's silly for these two young ladies to come with me. So she stops and says, you guys go back to your own nation, your own family, your old gods, and God be with you, whoever your God is. Um, One of them, Orpah, said, that sounds pretty sensible. I'm going to head back. The other, Ruth, said no. In fact, the scripture said that Ruth clung to Naomi and made this commitment to her saying, listen, for whatever reason, she decides to show faithful love and covenant love and kindness to her mother-in-law, Naomi, and says, I'm going to go where you go. Your land's going to be my land. Your people's going to be my people. And your God is going to be my God. Ruth made this commitment to stay with Naomi and to put her trust in Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true creator God. And so they went back, and it was a big scene, Ruth showing up with Naomi, her mother-in-law. Naomi had been gone for many years, and and here these two poor, single, widowed women show up. Um, But at the very end of chapter 1, remember we said our narrator gives us this glimmer of hope. Now, the characters didn't see it. But the very last verse of of chapter 1 said that they arrived back in Bethlehem when? At the beginning of barley harvest. 
just a little glimmer of hope. And so as we, as we dive into chapter 2 today, um, turn with me, chapter 2, verse 1, listen to what it says. Now the narrator's still talking to us, the characters don't really know what's happening here, but look at the narrator continues this little glimmer of hope in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's. Well, that's interesting because I thought Naomi had no hope. You know, now in chapter 1, she was thinking, my life, my future is hopeless. I got no husband, my, no sons. My sons didn't have kids before they died. Our property is tied up in that man's name. Okay, who's going to provide all these things? So I don't know if Naomi had forgotten about this man or if she just wasn't thinking. I don't know how close this man was down the line to Elimelech. But our narrator lets us know Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So we're introduced to this new character, but we don't get to meet him yet. Now, we know, number one, he's a relative of Naomi. Number two, he's from the clan of her dead husband, Elimelech. That's a good thing. Number three, it says he's a worthy man. What's your translation say? Man is standing. Okay, the word used here is used uh, for lots of different things. Worthy, man is standing, wealthy, in military terms, he's, he's, a, he's a strong man, okay, the, the group back from my day, Salt and Pepper, would say, what a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, okay? So, a, lot of, a lot of people, okay? So, so this, is, this is this guy, Boaz, okay? I mean, it's not even, I don't think, hard to stretch the fact to think that he's probably a handsome man. I mean, this guy has got it going on, Boaz. He's, he's from the, the, the line of Elimelech, which is going to be good, as you'll see, because that means something. That's important, okay? It means he's from the right family, to possibly help take care of Naomi and Ruth, okay? So, verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've ever done a lot of traveling, have you ever woke up and forgot where you were? <clears throat> We, that used to happen to me all the time. When we would work camps and things like that, we were always in different places every week and weekends and in the summers. It was crazy. Brooke, when we first got married, we, I would take her places and she would sleepwalk because she had no idea where she was. Um, and so I don't know. You know, Ruth has left her home to, to follow Naomi back to this place in Bethlehem. So I just kind of picture her waking up this morning and maybe she laid there for a moment trying to say, okay, where am I? You know, this looks different. But she didn't lay there long, and I really like Ruth's go-get-em attitude, don't you? She, she gets herself out of bed knowing that her mother-in-law has already told her they're going to a hopeless situation. And she says, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick to this commitment. I'm ready to, to make good on that commitment that I had made to my mother-in-law, and I'm going to go out and work and see if I can't get us some food. Now... I'm not exactly sure how old Naomi was at this time, but just going by the, the timeline we have in chapter 1, I don't think she was too old to be working in the fields to help, but she doesn't say, yeah, that's a good idea. Let me get my bag. We'll go together. She just says, all right, you go. Maybe Naomi sensed, I mean, maybe Ruth sensed Naomi's depression. You know, Naomi was at the bottom. Don't forget. 
She had lost her husband, lost her two sons. She was feeling very hopeless, no one to care for her. She may have even seen Ruth just as an extra mouth to feed. And so she just said, go. See, faith doesn't sit around waiting for God to drop a gift in our lap. If you've ever been at the bottom and feeling kind of hopeless, um, sometimes we feel like maybe I just got to lay around today. Don't really have the energy to get up and do some things. And if God wants things to turn around for me, he'll just make it happen. Well, Ruth didn't wait on that. She said, no, I'm going to get up out of bed. I'm going to, you know, throw some water on my face, and I'm going to go to work, try to find some food for me and my mother-in-law. I think God wants us to, to do what we can, to work hard, and trust that he will provide our needs. Okay, so let's look at verse 3 and see what happens. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. She's just going to go and get, you know, the leftovers. Are you with me? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. She happened to come. That's translated as luck would have it, okay? She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Remember, Ruth does not know Boaz. Naomi didn't say, hey, look for this guy, Boaz, okay? He's a really good guy. She, she just happened to come to this field, who was of the clan of Elimelech. See, this is begins to show us what we would call the sovereignty of God, maybe the, the theology, the doctrine of the providence of God. It was nothing less than a divine appointment that brought Ruth to that field, was it? See, there was no vision, though, okay? There was no angel, you know, that, that said, hey, Ruth, make sure you go to that field, not this field, and look for a guy named Boaz. You know, she didn't hear a voice, uh, Ruth, please go to that field over there. You know, some of the other people in the Bible, they got messages like that, right? Remember when the angel would come and visit uh, Joseph after the birth of Jesus and said, hey, you know, don't go back that way. They're going to kill you. Go this way. He, he, Ruth didn't have that, okay? She just made her own decision. That's, that's the providence of God is that when we make our decisions, God is still at work. So if I raise my hand, God didn't make me raise my hand. I just chose to raise my hand. We have to kind of work through some of our ideas about what God does amongst his humanity, okay? A lot of times we like to say, oh, well, God made me do that. or He made me do that. God is sovereign. God is provident. But he left us choices to make, okay? Ruth got up. She chose to go to work that day. She chose this field over that field. And in the middle of her choices, God was at work to make sure that his purposes would be fulfilled. Are you with me? You know, in 2007, uh, Sydney and Meredith and Brooke and I, we set out to start Heritage Community Church. 2007. It's been 12 years, a little over 12 years since we started the whole idea. But in 2007, that wasn't the beginning of the story of Brian and Sid. Okay? Did you know that? In 2002... Brooke and I got married in May. We went on a honeymoon the next week, and the next week we left for camp because that's just what we did. We had been working camps for a few years, and even though we could have chosen to say, hey, let's take this summer off. You know, do we need, need 10 weeks of working camp with, you know, 1,000 kids? Or maybe we should just take the summer to get used to being married and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But no, we left. We made the choice. And the people in Lifeway just so happened to place us at camp at a place in Georgia called Tacoa Falls. It was a college campus, okay, um, as luck would have it. 
a church in first, called First Baptist Church Leesburg, where Sidney Brock was the youth pastor, just so happened to choose to take his kids to camp there. Now, out of all the camps they could have placed me at that summer, and there were a lot to choose from, they happened to place me at the same one that Sidney chose to take his youth group to from Leesburg. Okay, and out of all the camps, even just in the southeast, if you want to just say he probably wouldn't have gone to Glorietta, he had a lot of camps to choose from. He happened to choose, as luck would have it, Tocoa Falls, Georgia. Now, to be honest with you, I don't remember much about Sydney there in that week of camp. In fact, he kind of bothered me because they had the biggest, <laughs> they had the biggest group. They brought like 150 kids to camp, okay, and they thought they could do whatever they wanted, you know, because Sydney. He doesn't always follow the rules, if you, if you know that. And I, I wasn't the director of our team. I was the worship leader. Um, and all I knew was our director was having a lot of problems with this guy from First Baptist Leesburg because he wanted to do, you know, whatever he wanted to do. Um, regardless. At the end of that summer, I got a phone call from Sydney and said, hey, I was thinking you could come lead worship for this youth retreat we've got in October. Now, that was not abnormal. I tried to fill up every single weekend of my fall and winter and spring because I was now married and this was my only job. And so I said, well, sure, I would come and do that. And that fall, at the end of October, I flew from Dallas to Leesburg, Florida and, and, and had a weekend retreat, just like every other weekend. But on Sunday, before I went back to the airport, I sat in Sydney and Meredith's living room, and we just talked, and man, if God wasn't present in that living room, amongst the three of us, just talking about life. And before you know it, that January, I was on staff at First Baptist Leesburg, and Sydney and I worked together for three years before I left him and went to Nashville for a short time. And then he called in 2007 and said, hey, I think we're supposed to plant this church. And, and so that was the story. God was provident in the choices of Brooke and I, in the choices of Lifeway, in the choices of Sydney and whoever else helped him make the decision of where he would take his kids again to put together a relationship to fulfill his future purposes. Do you see how that works? We don't always even have any idea that that stuff is going on. But man, if you don't believe that God is active amongst the people he created, you're, you're totally not looking in the right places. All right, so let's meet Boaz. Let's see if he is everything that, that our narrator said he was, okay? Verse 4, and behold, just so happened at that time, again, Boaz came from Bethlehem to his fields, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. So this guy Boaz... Number one, I would say he's a pretty godly man. I mean, the first thing he says is what? The Lord be with you. He shows up. He's just checking on things that is filled that day. And he looks at the workers and he says, the Lord be with you. Now, number two, I know this. His workers, they respected him. Because what did they say? The Lord bless you. They like this guy. Yeah, they like this guy. He's a good guy. Here's what else I know. He had heard of Ruth. Now, 
When he looked out, I have no idea how many workers he had in his field that day. I don't know what was normal, but I do know this. Boaz noticed the young foreign woman that usually wasn't there. And he said, whose woman is this? Who does she belong to? Why is she here? And, 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 and kind of his foreman told him, hey, she's the lady that came back with Naomi from Moab. But I tell you, she has worked her tail off today. She's been here early this morning just trying to get some leftovers. Now, Boaz, he had already heard of Ruth and the kindness that she had shown to her mother-in-law, Naomi. But he could have just heard about that and said, okay, well, she's not really a part of our group. She's from Moab. But since she's not bothering anybody and she's kind of keeping quiet and not making a fuss and being real dramatic, let's just let her keep doing what she's doing. He could have said that. And we would have been like, well, that was nice of him because he didn't kick her out. But look what, look what Boaz does. See, he's ready to make a commitment to showing the faithful kindness that he's used to receiving from God, Yahweh, and he's going to show that faithful kindness to this outsider. Look at verse 8. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. That's nice of him. He doesn't say, hey, listen, stranger. He says, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and then go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He's showing protection. He's saying, hey, leave this girl alone. When you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young women have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground and said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Now he blesses her. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. These are the first kind words that Ruth had heard since leaving Moab. Remember last week, even after her long, this great commitment speech that she gave to Naomi, your people will be my people, your land will be my land, your God will be my God. If you die there, I'm going to die there. And what did Naomi say to her? All right. Remember, it said after that, Naomi just quit talking. She was like, I guess I ain't going to get this girl to go home. Let's go. You know, I don't know. Maybe Naomi thought, I don't want to take you back. It's another mouth to feed. It's another body to clothe. It's, every time I look at you, I'm remembering the sin of us leaving Bethlehem from Moab. It's, I don't want you to be there, but obviously you're coming, so let's go. And even that morning when she said, hey, Naomi, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go work my tail off today to try to find us some food and maybe someone will show me some favor. What did she say? All right, go. But here's Boaz. And these are the first kind words that Ruth had heard since leaving Moab. He recognized the weight of Ruth's commitment. He even said, look, you left them and you came to find refuge in the God of Israel. You put your faith and trust in the God of Israel, Yahweh, the one true God. 
She wasn't just leaving her home and her former God. She was looking to Yahweh for refuge. Ruth had been made to feel welcome, finally, among the people of God. Mm. Now, I want this to be um, very uh, important to you that as we continue in verse 14, Boaz didn't just stop with the blessing. Look at what he was ready to put some action behind his words. Verse 14. At mealtime, Boaz said, hey, come here. Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers. I can just picture she had kind of found a corner to stand in, to be out of the way. You know, she's a foreigner. She doesn't fit in. She's not trying to cause problems. But he said, no, 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 no. Come sit with the rest of the reapers. Okay? He passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she even had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. Boaz didn't just stop with kind words. At dinner, he invites Ruth to join in at the table and gives her plenty to eat, even enough to where she would be satisfied and have some left over. We find out she ends up getting to take that as a doggy bag to Naomi. And then he let her go back to the field. But this time, he told his, his workers, he said, you know, make sure some grain falls on purpose so she's got plenty. He wants to make it as easy as possible on her. Okay, he's going out of his way now. This isn't just, okay, she can glean in the fields. Okay, we're not going to kick her out. Then he takes it a further step. Hey, I want God to bless you because of how nice you've been to Naomi. And then he says, you know what? Come join in at the table. Don't sit over there in the corner. Get some food. Get enough food. Get satisfied. Get full. Here, take some to your mother-in-law. And then he says, hey, go back out in the field and get as much as you can. We're going to make it easy on you. Verse 17 says she had an ephah of barley. That's somewhere between 29 and 55 pounds of grain. So basically several weeks worth of food for your average worker. Okay, I'm not sure how she, she was carrying that stuff home. It was heavy. But when we truly welcome outsiders, we don't stop with kind words or some half-hearted blessing. Sometimes I feel like we like to do that. We feel like we're doing really good to people by saying nice things to them. You know, someone stops and, and they kind of let us know where they're at in life. Life's been hard on them or they're, they're struggling with this. And we go, man, okay, well, God bless. And then we walk away and we go, man, I hope that someone meets her needs. Hope someone will come along. Hope, someone, hope God will put someone in their path to, to help take care of them. He just did. No, when we want to welcome someone in... We speak kindly to them. We do bless them. We, we welcome them, them in to be a part of what we're doing. And then we do our best to meet their needs. And if we can't meet all their needs, maybe we bring in some of our friends and say, hey, I just met this person. Maybe together we can meet their needs. That's what welcoming a foreigner looks like. I hope that we would be known as those kind of people. James said something like this in chapter 2 in the New Testament. He says when he was talking about faith and works, and he said, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but has not have any works? Can that faith save him? 
And then he gives an example. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Do you welcome outsiders like Ruth? Do we provide for them? Do we bring them into what we're doing and help meet their needs? You know, those people who don't naturally fit into our groups and community. Are we the kind of church that has a reputation of welcoming outsiders? Or are we the kind of church that people say, well, you don't want to go there because you probably won't fit in. Boaz is setting an example for us, for the church. Verse 18. So she took it up, this ephah of barley... And went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her the doggy bag. What she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? You can like hear the, the joy, right? Where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. He was a mighty good man. So she told her mother-in-law... Remember, she didn't know. She didn't know Boaz was part of that family. Told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, the man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Redeemers. Now what that means is this is from the law in Leviticus chapter 25. There was a law for the people of God that if a man died and left a widow with no sons to carry on the family line, the close brother would actually marry the widow and have a son in his dead brother's name so that the property would be able to be passed down in his dead brother's name. His name would still live on on the family. Okay, does that make sense? Now, I don't know where Boaz was in this family line, but somewhere along the line, she says he's one of our redeemers. That's what that means. He can buy back our property by providing for us and taking care, providing us a, a husband for you, Ruth. But Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. She's saying, Hey, he even said I could come back. She's like, This isn't going to stop. We're, we're good. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. Now, now stop right there. Naomi begins to see some hope. It starts with Ruth coming down the street in town with this big old... It, picture like a giant bag of dog food. You ever seen those? That thing, that's about how much she had of, of this grain. And she's coming down the street like that and... And Naomi's eyes get big, and just for a moment, she begins to feel some hope. Maybe God wasn't out to get her after all. Remember in chapter 1 when she told the people to call her? Mara, it meant bitter. She was bitter toward God. She was blaming God for all that had happened, whether it was her fault or her husband's fault or whoever's fault. Whatever it was, she was mad. She still believed in God, but she was bitter. She didn't want anything to do with anything that was going on. She just wanted to eke through life until she died. But now her heart is beginning to soften toward God. L listen to this. In verse 20, she said, Oh, this man, whoever he was, may he be blessed by the Lord 
whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. She's blessing Boaz, but that whose, what's your version say? This this he, the he for your version probably, that's the Lord's. See, she doesn't really have a history of Boaz. She's talking about the Lord's kindness who has been faithful to the living and the dead for all these generations. So she's blessing Boaz, but because of God's kindness, he has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi's heart is beginning to turn back toward God. See, Naomi had been at the bottom. Okay, she was broken. Don't forget, she had lost her husband at an early age. The untimely death of both of her sons. I mean, if you've ever lost someone in your family that shouldn't have died at that age, you know where she's at. See, a lot of times we forget to feel for Naomi and what she's been experiencing. She's broken. She's at the bottom. She's in pieces. But maybe God was beginning to pick up the pieces. I love the lyrics to this song on the radio, Defender. Listen to one of some of the words at the end of that song. It says, when I thought I lost me, you knew where I left me. You reintroduced me to your love. You picked up all my pieces, put me back together. You are the defender of my heart. Don't you like that? When we're at the bottom, if you've ever been there, when you're in pain and when you feel like there's nothing is going right because it's one thing after another keeps hitting you, If we would turn our face back to God, he can pick up those pieces. He can pick them up and put them back together. Sometimes he even initiates it when we're at our worst. There's even a hint of repentance in there in verse 22. Listen to what Naomi, she had had, uh, listened to what Ruth had said. And Ruth said, hey, he even told me to stay in his field and not try to go elsewhere and look into another field. (laughs) She said, yeah, in verse 22, it's good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women less than another field you be assaulted. This seems kind of obvious, doesn't it? You know, I mean, why would she go somewhere else? This mighty good man is showing her kindness and faith. He's giving her food. He's saying, hey, I'm going to take care of you. You came home the first day with with enough food for weeks uh, for both of us. Why would you go and see if you could test your luck in another field. But that's exactly what Elimelech and Naomi had done when this whole thing began, isn't it? Man, God had said, look, I'm going to bring you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I'm going to take, you know, everything you need. I'm going to give you bread from heaven. Stuff's just going to fall out of the sky when you need it. I'm going to take care of you. If you need light, I'll give you light. No worries. I'm going to take care of all of these nations, wipe them out so that you can have this great place to live. I mean, he had done all those things. He was this mighty good God providing for all their needs. And then Elimelech and Naomi went looking elsewhere to see if maybe there were greener pastures. And Naomi, now she could see how foolish that was. Stay in the field of the one upon whom the Lord's blessing rests. Don't go wandering off as I did. And here God is bringing hope. He was still willing to show her, Naomi, covenant love and faithfulness in spite of her history of sin. Now, this word, this covenant love and faithfulness, the word here in the book of Ruth that's a key word is hesed, H-E-S-E-D, hesed love, okay? And it is combining the words love and commitment, H-E-S-E-D, hesed love. 
It's a hard word to translate because it includes a lot of things. It's, it's love, it's grace, it's mercy, it's kindness. Ruth, she showed this hesed love to Naomi, even though she was an outsider and didn't even know the God of Israel. Boaz, he shows this hesed, faithful, kindness, covenant love to Ruth. Of course, these are just pointers to the greatest hesed love giver. The Apostle Paul writes in Philippians 4, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And who? In Christ Jesus. It doesn't always seem that way, does it? Does it sometimes feel like God has turned his face away from you? That nothing can go right? Yet the book of Ruth, it's like this incredible testimony to Paul's statement that God will meet all of our needs. Naomi, she had misunderstood God, and she probably misjudged Ruth. I mean, she had failed to see that the Lord is the God who welcomes the outsider. She was thinking that Ruth would just be a burden. You know, someone who she's going to have to explain her presence to the, to the other ladies in town. Every time she sees her, she's reminded of the sinful choice that Elimelech and Naomi had made by leaving the promised land. But no, God, in fact, welcomed in Ruth, a Moabite woman, to the people of God. She had forgotten that God is the shepherd who does not stop showing covenant faithfulness to his wandering sheep. I mean, Naomi knew the background of the people of Israel. She knew that every time that they would stop and try to worship other false gods, that God would eventually come back and welcome back those wandering sheep, wouldn't he? She knew that. And yet she was at the bottom in broken pieces and she had forgotten the faithfulness of God. She didn't remember he's the father who waits with open arms to welcome back the prodigal daughter. God doesn't just allow us grudgingly to glean in his field. No, he invites us to the table to participate in the feast. Amen? See, for us living in this New Testament era... We should see this faithful love of God even more clearly than Naomi did. We know what it cost the Father to receive home. Us, the wandering sinners. It costs nothing less than the death of his son on the cross. Nothing less than him having to pour out his own wrath and anger on his son, Jesus. The wrath and anger that he had against sin, he had to pour it out on the own perfect son of God. What Naomi and Ruth needed most was not simply a redeemer to restore their property and provide for their earthly needs. They needed a heavenly redeemer to rescue them from their sin. Naomi and Ruth needed Jesus to taste death in their place. The cost of our salvation, the cost of Ruth and Naomi's salvation is exactly what Paul said it was in 2 Corinthians. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. He made a way for us not to just eke our way through life and through existence until the day we die. He made a way for us to be made righteous before him again. He restores the broken. See, the remedy for our hard and bitter hearts when we get to that point of brokenness and at the bottom of the barrel is to focus on the grace of God and the incredible price that he paid to rescue us, meeting our deepest need. If he'll do that, why would he stop short to meet all of our needs? 
He's already paid the biggest price he could pay to give us salvation. Why would he not just say the word and meet the needs that we have here on earth? Providing us food or clothing, those little things are so much easier than for him to give up his own son on the cross to provide for our salvation and for our forgiveness of sin. And as a result, he's able to be our refuge, the one under whose wings we may come and take shelter. God is our redeemer from and through any storm that we face. Amen? God is the one that shows us grace and favor. Now, we won't stop there because there's one last verse. Our narrator is good at kind of leaving us hanging. In verse 23, Scripture says, So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. So, so Ruth, she, she stayed there in that same field until the end of harvest time. God, through Boaz, provided all the food that they would need. But listen to the last sentence. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Now, why did the narrator add that very obvious sentence? Who else would she be living with at that time? She didn't know anybody else. But I think he was letting us know that even though the need of food had been met, there was still one need that they had, and it was a husband, someone who could redeem their family line and their property. And so he leaves us kind of hanging. And we will stop there today, and you have to come back next week <laughs> to hear chapter 3. Here's my prayer for you today. No matter where you're at, would you begin to turn your face back to God, the God of grace, the God of favor. Take your bitter heart and turn it into a heart of hope, remembering the things that God has done up to this point. How he has saved us and rescued us from a sinful life made us new, given us the opportunity to have eternal life with him forever. In spite of our history of sin, in spite of our foolish decisions over and over again, he's done that for us. It's just a simple choice to receive that gift of salvation and to become part of the family of God, feasting at his table of complete and whole satisfaction. Amen? Let's pray. Father... You are so tender to us, so merciful in spite of our poor decision-making, in, in spite of our complete rebellion towards you on some days. Remind us, Father, of all that you have accomplished. Remind us that you are the God of providence working to accomplish your desires here on earth and that your greatest desires for as many as possible would come to worship the name of Jesus around this world. Father, I pray today for those who are not yet believers in this room and those that we know. Father, turn their eyes toward Jesus, toward the cross, toward the blood shed that would cover our sin so that they might be made new. And for us who are believers today, Father, I pray that you would help us to welcome with hesed love the outsiders, so that we can share the hope we have in Christ. 
so that maybe they would be added to the family. The family who feasts at your table, Lord. You are the one true God, and we worship you as that. We thank you, Jesus the Son, for the cross and for your bloodshed, and we thank you, Spirit, for filling us, guiding our steps, directing us here on earth. Teach us how to live for you. We thank you for your word and your truth. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.